Hi everyone and welcome to Lyrics of the Life. I'm your host Adam Hampton and today I have for you a very special interview with Dr. Matt Fink, known best for his role as the keyboard and synthesizer player in the Doctor's outfit for Prince and the Revolution. Dr. Fink was a key member of Prince's band for over 10 years and today he shares with us some of his incredible stories of his time with Prince and the Revolution, what it was like growing up in Minneapolis, what life was like after Prince and the Revolution and where he is today. It was a privilege to speak with Dr. Think, and I hope you enjoy this interview. So, hello and welcome to Lyrics of Their Life. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, Dr. Matt Think. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and I suppose we'll get, get straight into it and start from the very beginning. Yeah. Sure, go right ahead. Uh, you were born and raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the U.S. in 1958. Could you describe for our listeners that may not be familiar with the area what it was like growing up there? Well, uh, Minneapolis is uh, and St. Paul, which they, they call it the Twin Cities because they're right next to each other. But Minneapolis and St. Paul is really slap dab in the middle of the North American continent and it's not really an extremely populous area, you know, yep. Minneapolis, St. Paul. When I was a kid growing up, I think uh, Minneapolis had maybe a total of 450,000 people living mm. in the actual city. And then you had the surrounding suburbs, you know, the suburb I lived in, which was one of the first suburbs they built, you know, around the World War II area when they were expanding out into the, those areas away from the city. It, it the population there peaked at about 50,000 and now I think it's sitting more like around 38,000 or 40 you know because people have moved out further out in you know outer suburbs I'm, I'm in an outer suburb oh yeah which is yeah. About, about half hour south of Minneapolis yeah. and uh when we when I lived in St. Louis Park that was only like a nine ten minute drive from downtown so yeah. it's a whole really close in to the city yeah. but uh, it, it's it's a, a very nice place to be because first of all the state of minnesota has great you know tons of lakes great water yeah. sports you know fishing you name it you know like the, the the state name is the land of ten thousand lakes because yeah. of all the glacier lakes that we have here from from when the glaciers covered north america and what's left over now and um but you know you have four seasons and like I was just telling you a moment ago before we started, uh, we're in the middle of a really bad cold snap. Yeah. It's going to go about two weeks long. Fortunately, it's going to end tomorrow. At least we'll be still be a little bit below zero at night, but it's going to be in the 30s Fahrenheit by the weekend. So I'm excited to get back to nicer weather again because yeah. I haven't been able to get out and do my uh, hiking that, that I like to do every day. Oh, yeah. It's nice. I get out. Well, during the pandemic, it's the only way to, to stay sane is to get out there, exercise and, and get your endorphins going. Now, from what I understand is Australia, of course, and New Zealand are doing pretty well with uh, the pandemic yeah. now. Whereas yeah, we a, in the United they're doing pretty well, actually. Yeah, they're keeping yeah. pretty well on top of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're here. We, we aren't quite there, but things are declining at the moment because people finally... Mm are listening to our uh, leaders of the, yeah. of the country and the states to, to stay masked up and stay socially distanced and do all the things. Me personally being who I am, 
I had a mask on literally the, the first day they declared a pandemic. I went out shopping with a mask on and people were looking at me like, what yeah. is wrong up with this guy? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And I said, Hey, I used to wear masks when I was, you know, playing for Prince. So there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. 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 Pretty funny, funny stuff. Was there any sort of like hobbies you're into growing up, like sports or anything? Oh, like absolutely. Yeah. 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 So we're talking about winter. I was way into winter sports. I, I played mm. hockey. I became a really good skier. Yeah. In fact, to the level of where I, I actually had a job lined up to be a ski instructor when I was 18. Mm. But then I ended up going into a band that was touring around my five state area here that age. Just I was senior in high school at the time, so I decided to take the live music gig instead of taking the ski instructor's gig. But yeah, I used to be on the ski team and race ski, you know, doing. I got into some trick skiing and going over jumps and stuff like that. It was a lot of fun. Mm. I, I also was into hockey. Yeah, I, I mentioned um, cross country skiing. I never really did much ice fishing. That's something I didn't get into very much. But oh, ice yeah. fishing is a big thing here. Uh, I did a little bit of snowmobiling, but I never owned one. I had friends who had snowmobiles. I'd get, get out on the snowmobile occasionally like that. And um, other than that, you know, other than typical winter sports, um, my, my other hobbies were, um, you know, I like now that I'm older, you know, I like gardening and uh, keeping up with all the, the best, you know, movies and TV hmm. shows stuff like that music and all the artists that are out there i'm always trying to keep up with what's popular and yeah any something. any current artists that you're into now or yeah you know i really like um dua lipa right now yeah yeah i like her um i, I of course i like all the really you know good rap artists out there like travis scott and you know a guy named saint john i really yeah. like right now i could go on and on there's so many great sounding people right mm. now that are that are happening in the uh, mainstream music world it's just uh, mm. and i love all the great independents that i hear out there you know, yeah people that are, are newer there's so much talent that i can't keep up with it it's impossible i'd like yeah. to keep up with it but it, i just can't uh do it but anyway i always take recommendations from my two sons who are always <laughs> up on the, the latest stuff including my oldest son who's um a music producer in his own right these days an artist as well yeah Awesome. Do you remember the first time you um, ever heard a song that sort of made you think this is what I want to get into sort of thing? Or? Definitely. Yeah. Um, pretty much the entire, you know, what was called the British invasion mm. of 1963, 64, that era, yeah. you know, when the Rolling Stones and the Beatles were coming along and the who and all those groups from over there. Uh, they, you know, when I was six years old, the, the Beatles debuted on Ed Sullivan show. And I saw that live yeah. when it happened. And that really influenced me immediately, even at that young of an age. And by the time I was 12, when they released the uh, Sgt. Pepper album, I was such a big fan that I literally went to the store and purchased it the day it was released and put it on the turntable that evening, listened to it. And at the age of uh, nine is when, when it <laughs> came out. Uh, um, I was nine years old and I put that on. And when I heard what was coming out of it compared to what they'd done earlier, I was astounded. I couldn't, I didn't understand it. I was a bit young to fully intellectually, you know, process what they were doing. And, and emotionally it, you know, like the song a day in the life, you know, when that came mm -hmm. on, I was, I was just like, it, it yeah. frightened me almost. It was scary. 
you know, it had a scary feel to it. It was especially that whole cacophony of orchestral nightmare music that takes place twice during the song. Anyway, um, so yeah, highly influenced by the Beatles. Uh, and I had the, I was very fortunate uh, in November of 2019 to be a counselor for what's called the rock and roll fantasy camp that's been going on for like, I don't know, 17 years. This is my first opportunity uh, opportunity to be involved. Someone I knew there asked me if I wanted to uh, come on board as a counselor and do their Beatles camp. Of course, yes, I immediately said, yes, I'd love to do the Beatles camp. And we performed the Sgt. Pepper album. Oh, cool. Yeah. With members of Cheap Trick coming up and oh, uh, yeah. Age with all the different, we had all these different groups with different, you know, celebrity counselors running their bands and performing songs uh, in the final day. But, the, you know, the, you're there for a week. And then on the weekend, on Saturday and Sunday, you perform uh, at two different venues. And then it culminates in that Sunday night uh, gig where we did Sgt. Pepper. And it was incredible. First, first of all, we each group went up and played like mm. a couple of their songs that they worked up that were just non Sergeant Pepper songs. And then, mm. and then the entire big show happened and we even had a full orchestra up there with us doing songs like within you, without you. And uh, you know, any other songs that, that, that needed live strings and horns and stuff like that. It was just incredible. Awesome. Yeah. So you were part of a band in your teen years or. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, I mean, my first group uh, came to be when I was, uh, 12 and a half years old yeah and, and we did some parties you know in mm. those days early parties and then we and of course we were in junior high at that time you know so, so we started performing at other schools in the area we we would contact you know the head people at those schools and say hey we're we're available to play sh- your school dance if you want and they did they hired us it was really really a lot of fun so that nucleus of musicians we stayed together all the way through our senior year in high school and then, as I mentioned before, when I uh, auditioned for this other group that was not my current band, I wanted to move on because some of the other band members were going to go off to college right away. I wasn't planning on it. And uh, <clears throat> so I was looking for another job. And then and then I was touring with that group for a little over a year, a year and a half. And then I joined another band and did the same thing till I was about, uh, you know, almost 21, not quite 21 years old. Mm. And, and that's when I auditioned for Prince Yeah, in, in the uh, fall of 1978, when I was still 20 years old. And then I, I turned uh, 21 in February, mm. a couple months later. But Do you remember what it was like when you first went into that audition with Prince? Very vividly remember that, actually, yeah. still. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, you're nervous, of course, because you're meeting this guy that's like, yeah. he and I were the same age at that time. You know, mm. I mean, we were born the same year and yet he was definitely ahead of me in the music business for where I was at. I, I was just, you know, auditioning for this guy who's like signed to a major label at the age of 19. Yeah. <laughs> 20, he was 20 when I met him, but it was it was a little bit nerve wracking because, you, you know, you don't know how it's going to go or how he's going to be. So, yeah, I was nervous. But but it, he made me feel at ease pretty quickly. And he played a little joke on me and said, mm. uh so did you learn this one song on the album called So Blue? And I said, no, I didn't work on that one. I only worked on the, the single and a couple other ones I was told to work on. <laughs> and he goes, well, don't worry about it. There's no keyboards on it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <You know. laughs> so, yeah, I heard he had like a, a great sense of humor, but 
often was pretty quiet. Yeah, but no, yeah. well, he, he wasn't quiet around us. He just was the, a man of, he wanted to be the man of mystery. Yeah. For, for his, the, the fans, because actually when you stay silent is, and don't do interviews and you do all that, it just creates the mystique around you, I think. And, and he knew that, uh, used that as a technique to gain notoriety. In the American Bandstand interview uh, with Dick Clark, I was going to ask you about that one. Um, a lot of people say it was he was just feeling awkward or because he was on TV in front of so many people. But then I've heard stories where Dick Clark said something that sort of peed him off. Uh, do you know what, what Prince was sort of trying to get at there? Or No, you know, he just, Prince was wanting to obviously just create hype about himself. Yeah, and and the way to do that was to kind of come off like how he did. A, yeah. B, it, it it came off worse than it should have though because he had a cold at the time, mm. and he had been taking antihistamines to keep his nose from running on stage and everything else. And he fortunately didn't have to sing because it's, that performance is always done with via lip sync, mm. you know, track for for bandstand. So at the end of dancing his butt off. He had to do this interview and he was so dried out from the antihistamines because they, they just dry everything out, you know? Yeah. Benadryl or whatever's in, in that stuff. And um, so he was having a hard time talking. Mm. He was out of breath a, and really dry. So he, he, and then he, he was, his whole intent was to mess with Dick. Yeah. On purpose. Yeah. But it didn't come off quite right. It looked, <laughs> it made him look a little more like, like what's with this guy <laughs> that's a little odd yeah so yeah so we didn't know but as a band members we didn't know he was going to do that mm. no i think that's idea. what made him so great too that sort of mystique around him like how he's often quiet in interviews and yeah yeah, yeah it worked <laughs> it, was, it was really done as a, as a tactic to uh, draw more attention yeah awesome so at, uh, I've read that around age seven, you started playing piano, like classical and jazz piano. Yeah. Um, as you were the keyboard and synthesizer player for Prince and the Revolution, did you always know that's the type of instrument you wanted to play or was there any others like drums or singing or anything like yeah, that? When I, was a, when I was a kid growing up, um, I wanted to play drums too. Yeah. And I did have a drum set at one time but then I didn't pursue it seriously. I, I really focused on the piano and stuff, uh, keyboards, because that, that was where my heart was. And that's what I started out on. But uh, I, I'm, I've become a decent, uh, if you want to call it, drum programmer, you know, yeah. for songs, for production work. I, I'm decent at that. I don't really play live drums much at all anymore, mm -hmm. but um, that's what I do. I don't play much guitar either. I, I looked, I, you know, I tried a little bit into it, you know, I dabbled in it a little bit. I, I just loved keyboards and that's it. Did you have any, like, uh, like, did you come from a musical family or have any friends growing up that sort of got you into it or sort of nurtured your love for music? Yeah. My parents were definitely instrumental in that because uh, they're the ones who asked me to, you know, if I was interested in taking piano, my older brother was already studying it uh, when I was, a, you know, little, he was, about three grade, he's three grades ahead of me, you know, three years. But uh, both of my parents are were actors and had degrees in theater from the University of Minnesota. So they were, and my mom played piano growing up. My father uh, played a little bit of piano growing up, 
but yeah. not, he didn't have formal training, but he wanted formal training. But it, when, when he was a kid growing up, he's, he was a, had to, you know, live through the depression era and all that, and then fight in world war two and all that stuff, you know? Mm. So his family didn't, couldn't really afford to give him piano lessons growing yeah. up, but he, he really wanted to. So that's why he, he uh, provided that for my brother and I, that opportunity. It was certainly wasn't forced on us. I'll tell you that. But, but they, they said, here, try this. They, yeah. they were just nurturing, more yeah. nurturing, which yeah. really is good. And not forcing me to practice all the time. And all, you know, it was none yeah. of that, no heavy yeah. disciplinary stuff going on. Um, but my brother became a very proficient classical pianist and then was in a band also ahead of me when he was in junior high, he was in that for a few years through ninth, his ninth grade, but then he didn't pursue it professionally. He didn't care for it enough to yeah. do that. He wanted to do other things. Uh, and then I inherited his equipment in that, in that first band I was telling you about. Yeah. And I, I got into it in a mm. big way because I, I was inspired to. And um, so, yeah, I, I have to credit my parents hundred percent for yeah. uh, bringing me into it. And then, of course, um, the, the first drummer I worked with who lived down the street, who was in that first band, he and I were like, you know, jamming and playing. As soon as he moved into the neighborhood and I discovered he was he was had a little drum set, yeah. you know, that was it. So from the time we were eight until we formed that first band, we were jamming in the basement. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you remember what it was like um, when you first met the Revolution band members like Bobby Z and um, Gail Chapman, Des Dickerson? Well, so, so the thing is about Bobby is that I already knew Bobby and it was because of Bobby that I was able to get into the group actually to, to get mm. the, the uh, audition. He, he uh, I met him the first time when I was really young. I think I was around six or seven too at that time. And that was because my mother and his mother and my father and his father were both involved in fundraising events for a local hospital here in Minneapolis, they would do, you know, they did a few of them, you know, when we were kids growing up. Mm. Uh, one year, my father and his father were the actual uh, hosts, yeah. MCs of the, of the event. And my mom and Bobby's mother did a skit with another lady where they did a comedy skit and things like that, you know, to raise money. So that's when I first met Bobby. I, and, I, and I would see him occasionally over time because our parents were, were, not the closest friends, but they were acquaintances and did those events and stuff. Uh, so we'd see them occasionally. And then um, Bobby also grew up in the same suburb that I did in, in Minneapolis. We weren't neighbors because he was on the, the opposite side from, of that suburb from where I was. And uh, so when I was uh, playing in this one group at the time, I think it was 18 or 19, Bobby brought me Prince's demo tape to hear when yeah. I was at a, at a show doing a show that night, a gig at a club. Mm. And, and he took me out to the car to listen to the cassette of the Prince's demo. And I said, wow, this is great. Who is the band? Yeah. And he goes, he says, it's not a band. And I go, what do you mean? It's not a band. He <laughs> goes, this one guy in the studio writing and singing and producing all the music himself. Yeah. I go, you gotta be kidding me. He <laughs> goes, yeah. And he's the same age as you. And I said, even more intriguing. <laughs> so, uh, basically, I, I just said to him at that moment, I said, well, this, this is really interesting. What's going to happen? He goes, well, we're trying to get him a record deal. I work as an intern for his manager right now. 
Yeah. I said, okay, well, uh, let me know what, how it progresses. So about a year later, that's when I knew he'd gotten signed to Warner brothers. And that's when I pursued getting an audition through Bobby and Bobby's manager. Awesome. Um, do you remember what your first gig was like? I heard that, um, on one of your first gigs, there was like a chaotic situation where, uh, a snowstorm was blowing through and noises were coming through like CB radio and stuff like that. Oh, well, yeah, sure. The, 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 the very first, uh, showcase gig in Minneapolis that we did for the Warner brothers people, they flew yeah. in from LA and they flew in early January or mid January. Same issue we're having right now with below zero temperatures. Yeah. They're not used to it. They're coming in from LA. Uh, I don't believe there was a snowstorm. It was just a bad cold snap. So they came in and there were two shows, one, one night and one the following night. And they, I think they came to the second one. I can't remember for sure if it was the first or second one. But uh, our guitarist, Des Dickerson, had a wireless guitar system that he had just purchased recently yeah. at that time. And it, and it was not the greatest system. And it was picking up police radios and stuff yeah. while we were doing the show. <laughs> so we had, to, we had to stop the mm. show and get his thing taken apart and taken away mm. so he could just have a cable for his guitar. So it was about a 10-minute lull in the action in the middle of a show. And Prince had yeah. to try to talk to the audience and say, Hey, we're having some technical difficulties. Please hang tight. <laughs> yeah. How y'all doing? You know? <laughs> so that's what happened there. Yeah. Fair enough. How did the idea for the doctor's outfit come about? Yeah. That story is interesting too. Um, you know, in, in the beginning of it all, Prince was trying to f- have every band member figure out an image for themselves, you know? Yeah. And he said, I want you to be the quirky guy. <laughs> quirky. Mm. I go, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, you're, you're funny, you know, you're outgoing. Just, just want you to be like the sort of a weird guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so my first, you know, I tried some different looks in the beginning. And when we shot early videos for the uh, first album and second album, I think it was. And not, nothing was quite, quite, quite clicking with him. And then when we did the American Bandstand show that's when i came up with the guy in the black and white striped jail suit yeah so he liked that look mm. you know, like that that fact and uh it didn't last long though because when we went on tour for the first time opening for a major label act which would happen to be rick james yeah he was coming out on stage in a jail suit on one song and the title was busting out of l7 and so we're about three shows into the tour and this tour is going to last for, this is going to be like a five and a half month tour. Mm. So out on the road, maybe almost six months. And I said, oh boy. And he goes, you're going to have to change your image. Yeah. Because the headliner is wearing your suit. Yeah. On a song. And I go, oh shoot. <laughs> so he said, what were, what were some other ideas you may have had before you settled on the, the jailer outfit? And I said, how about a, a guy in a surgeon's outfit, a doctor? Yeah. That was another thought I had it before mm. I, I said a reason I didn't go with the doctor suit is because I thought the black and white stripes went really cool with keyboards with the black and white keyboards. Said, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of cool. Cause when you're shooting videos and you're getting angles and stuff mm. and I'm standing there and I'm playing, you know, and you got the look, it's kind of a, kind of interesting. Now, no one was really doing that yet as mm. far as I know. So he said, okay, the doctor thing. I like that. I like that. Okay. So we're going to send someone out to get you, doctor everything 
So they got me all the, the scrub suits. They got me all the accessories that doctors need. Stethoscope. You know, everything. <laughs> yeah. All of it. Including yeah. even, I even had like a headband with yeah. a mirror on it, reflector mirror and a surgeon's cap and <laughs> the mask and the whole thing. And then, of course, you when you see me on the Dirty Mind album, leave, you know, I'm, I'm fully covered like some, you know, funny yeah. horror movie doctor. So <laughs> that was the whole objective is to like, oh, more mystery. Who's that guy? Yeah, yeah. So one thing that I thought was amazing with how Prince and his band represent a range of races, religions, genders, and sexualities, which came to be known at the time as the Rainbow Band to some, uh, did it feel like you were helping break down stereotypes? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and we are definitely trying to have a uh, multi-racial, multi-gender group. That was Prince's vision, but it was also all of our vision we really like like the fact that he or that he was making it that way that he's making the group more like a fleetwood mac model yeah yep. you know so and, and especially at that in that time things were still very segregated in the music industry in yeah. particular yep. in, in minneapolis you you your mainstream rock and roll radio stations top 40 didn't really play much funk mm. or you know, black people's music. I mean, yeah, you heard the Supremes probably, there's probably some Motown going and all that stuff, but not enough. There wasn't enough. It, it was just, and then in, in Minneapolis, you only had like one black radio station and it was yeah. not a very powerful radio station. It was called KO. It still exists now, KMOJ, but it was segregated and it was just, you know, awful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wrong. Just wrong. Yeah. But, but that's changed, thank- thankfully. It's changed, even though our country is still in the throes of uh, scared white people, people who are worried that, you know, uh, the brown peoples of the world are going to take over America, which is absurd. It was well documented that Prince was highly controversial, especially in his earlier days, as he dressed quite flamboyant and his lyrics were quite raunchy. I understand Gail Chapman left the band due to religious beliefs clashing with uh, this material. How did the rest of the band feel about this sort of controversial style? Well, for me personally, I grew up in a very liberal-minded household, politically very, very uh, liberal, open to the arts. You know, I mean, my parents, you know, they were taking me to see the the, the play Hair when I was yeah. 10 years old, which had nudity in it. You know, so I, they, one time I was on a business trip with my father and my mom and my brother for to Chicago and and they took us to see Broadway plays. So we saw a few while we were there and one happened to be hair in particular. And, uh, you know, it was a hippie, long haired hippie play musical. Mm. So yeah, uh, I had no problem with sexuality and the stuff that Prince was doing and the messages he was putting out there. Um, again, Gail Chapman, yeah, maybe uh, didn't appreciate it as much. In November 1980, Prince released the song Dirty Mind. Um, what was it like becoming the first member of Prince's band to be credited on a track, especially when he had previously recorded all the instruments himself? I was very uh, excited about that, obviously. I mean, uh, I wanted to uh, collaborate with him as much as possible, but yep. it just wasn't because he, he just had his vision Um and he did it was it was not easy to to you know get stuff through him that he would use so i was happy that he grabbed something that i came up with musically he wrote the lyrics and melody but in 1981 prince and the revolution supported the rolling stones on the tattoo you tour 
The story goes that Prince decided to perform the Jack You Off song in front of a row of bikers, which was met with a hostile response. What is your memory of that tour and the reception you received? Well, it really wasn't a tour per se. There was only supposed to be like, well, I suppose it's a mini tour. We were supposed to play, I think, four or five shows in big stadiums, like yep. dome stadiums yeah. and outdoor stadiums and stuff like that. And um, just because the, the crowd became so hostile, it, it was impossible to perform. I mean, they were throwing mm. stuff at us and Prince almost got hit in the head with a glass bottle, you know, missed him by mere, you know, who knows, you know, yeah. Yeah. Even an eighth of an inch probably. So, and I got hit, I remember getting hit in the head with a, um, a crumpled up, you know, one of those Coca-Cola cups, you know, and it stung because they really threw it hard, you know, they crumpled it up into a ball and bam, you know, it gets you. So, yeah, it was it was very disconcerting, disappointing. I was actually in shock that that an audience would be that hostile. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I never really encountered anything like that before. Yeah. So I don't know if it was in reaction to the song like Jack You Off, like they were really pissed them off that they did that. Mm. that we did that song or why. But it just it, it was very, uh, yeah, threw us off, really threw Prince off quite a bit. Uh, but but he didn't care because he knew he said look those aren't our fans that's the that's a rolling stones crowd so yeah. what so we were introduced to those people not everybody's going to hate us oh you had yeah. whatever those people that were haters but later on as we all know he he garnered a massive audience so you know those yeah. early missteps happen and that's just how it goes you know what was life like on the road for for yourself well i, I enjoyed it you know yeah. Um, of course, the early years, you know, it's the kind of thing where you're, you're, you're building, it's a building process. You don't, there's not a lot of money in around yet. You've got tour support from the label in those days, which was nice, but you know, in those first few years, uh, especially the first tours of, you know, like, uh, showcase and Rick James and all that stuff. I was, uh, rooming with, uh, Bobby Z. We had yeah. to share hotel eventually. Uh, we didn't have to do that anymore because we were able to sustain things better. So, but touring was always good. And then by the, by the time we, we got to the purple rain tour, of course, that was just like, uh, you know, first class all the way, no matter where we did or where yeah. we went, it was all good. You know, it was all very top notch hotels and first class seats on the planes. And we even chartered a plane for a while. Um, so touring was always comfortable for me, I never had a problem with it. Awesome. So what was it like uh, starring in a blockbuster film like um, Purple Rain? Very exciting because we're a bunch of young dudes from Minneapolis, not Hollywood. Yep. And, you know, we're growing up in a place that, you know, just extremely fortunate to have the opportunity to do what we did and not have to move to the west coast or the east coast where the you know or nashville or any of those although uh, because you know warner brothers is based in la we were out there a lot obviously we you know prince would bring us there and we sometimes i'd be there for a month at a time or more yeah doing stuff you know working with him but uh for the most rehearsing or shooting videos or whatever we had to do that had to be done in los angeles but still um it really uh was a dream come true really when you think about it for all of us because you know that's what you're striving for you're really striving to do that but you know it it, it really takes uh somebody like prince with that drive and ambition 
to lead something like that, to make it happen. He he was so driven to do what he did, you know. Yep. He just never stopped working. It was amazing. I personally, I don't. I think if I had not met him, I don't think I would have gone on to the same kind of success yep. without him, because he was there, you know, doing the the major bulk of the of the writing and the recording. Mm. Yeah. Without, I, I was just there as a support team, yep. you know, and being a side man and all that, and, and, and fortunate enough and grateful enough to have some co-writes with him along the way. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he. Um, He's a genius, you know, period, bar not. With those songs you co-wrote with um, Prince, like 17 Days, Computer Blue, America and Dirty Mind, just to name a few, um, which of those were your favourites to work on and why? I, I think one of the favourites was uh, Computer Blue just because it was such a um, non-typical pop song. Yeah. You know, untypical just not your average piece of work you know the arrangement the way it went to the middle section you know instrumental part yeah, yeah. which was by the way his father's melody oh yeah yeah that's where that came from so it was a, it was a collaboration between Prince myself uh, Lisa and Wendy were involved in that song and Prince's father so it's, it's just really uh, mm. a, an interesting piece of work and how it all came together you know the, the, the way he arranged it and I love the instrumentals in that song. <laughs> 17 Days is one of my personal favorites too, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I was fortunate to, to have him credit, you know, members of the Revolution for that, even though it's really mostly him, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. But, I mean, I just played keyboards on it, came up with some stuff, and he said, oh, you wrote that? There you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay, thanks. The lyrics and melody, that's all him. Yeah. You know, so. Nice. When Dr. Think wasn't touring, what did a day in the life look, look like for you? I, I was just uh, chillaxing a lot yep. when I was off. Like, if we weren't touring, uh, granted, I was I had some other art, uh, musicians I worked with to write with, you know, and we were writing some stuff together and trying to shop songs to other artists. We were trying to get publishing stuff going, and we, we had some pretty good nibbles on a few songs. There was one song I did with a gentleman that A&M Records wanted and they offered us some front money blah 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 but we didn't take the deal in hindsight I wish we had yeah. for whatever reason they, they wanted me and that other partner to possibly do a full on publishing thing deal where we'd have to write 50 songs a year mm. or 50 songs. and I was still touring and my other my friend was still touring with another bigger name big name artist at the time and we just didn't have the time to devote to the thing 50 songs a year yep. because of the people we were working with but um, that would be a, you know typically uh, if, if we weren't rehearsing or touring uh, which didn't last very long we'd get little breaks you know here and there I, I would play golf I forgot to mention that was one of my hobbies growing up oh, yeah. golf. Yep. I played golf I got it I remember one summer when we were completely off from touring, I, I got out and played twice a week, which I never used to do. Mm. And I was playing regularly, and I managed to get really good at golf for a minute. <laughs> but that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not very good now. I, yeah. I, think I, I, I think I played once last 
summer. That was it, or the end of the fall. I, I during COVID when they opened things mm. up a little more, I played one one time. That was it. But it was nice to be outside, and hanging out. Yeah, you know. yeah. But yeah, my typical day would be playing, you know, in the studio, or you know, I had a little home set up, of course, in those days, and you know, try to write something, come up with some stuff, or uh, just relax, you know. After leaving the revolution, what was your next step, and where did you go next? Uh, well, I, well, after the actually it would have been the MPG, yep. which was at the end of 1990. Um, that's when I went to work for a local, locally based record label, yep. which was all based in Canada too. It was they had offices here in, in Canada, which was KTEL uh, Records. So I worked with them for a solid five years, uh, doing production work for them. Yeah, some some of their special records. They did a lot of really odd projects for them. So yeah, all that. And some of that you can actually hear on Spotify now. If you just plug in Dr. Fink, it'll take you to some of that work. Yeah, I saw that you had an album out as well. Um, what was yeah. it called? Ultrasound? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about doing some new material now. Oh, yeah. You know, it's all real. Yeah, after many, many years of not doing that. But, yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to be more of a producer, engineer, you know. Yeah. Over the since, since leaving Prince. Because, you know, I was, I was raising kids. Yeah, I didn't really want to be touring much at all. Once my kids were more grown up, that's when I I got back out playing a lot live again. Yeah, quite a bit. So I've been doing that for about the last eleven years, doing some live stuff, cool. including reuniting with the Revolution three years ago. On April twenty first, two thousand and sixteen, Prince was tragically found dead at his home in Paisley Park. Um, where were you when you heard the news, and what kind of an impact did it have on you? Well, it, it, that year, January 1st of, of 2016, was when I uh, started working for a local, another company here called the ADX Labs. And ADX Labs is the parent company of our current company called uh, V Media Entertainment, which is a, has a record label, music streaming service, and uh, a video service on there going. And it's it's you know, starting to do some interesting things right now. Yeah. I, I, prior to that, I was I was uh, in my office that year because mm. I didn't come on board on January first of twenty sixteen. So in, in, by April, I'd only been in there for a little over four and a half months. Yeah. Working, and I was actually in my office when I saw a news flash come onto my phone mm. about this person being found deceased at Paisley Park, and I thought, mm. oh no. Yeah. And they didn't announce it was Prince yet because they didn't know who it was. Yeah. And I just immediately, my heart sank. And yeah. I said, oh my gosh, it better not be him because I know he's one of the only people that lives there. Yeah. And maybe he had an assistant and maybe one other staff member. They, they, they had a, didn't have a lot of people over there at that time. Mm. So I was, I was like, oh, hoping it wasn't him. Yeah. Uh, but then about a half hour later, I get a call from another friend of mine mm. who is really good friends with the head of the police department over there where Prince's building mm. was, Chanhassen, Minnesota. I mean, he said, I have got inside information that it was Prince. Mm. And I, oh my God. Yeah. And, and the issue is that uh, the media had not been told yet, mm. but I knew. Yeah. 
so I, I immediately was just in, into went into deep shock you know it was like one yeah. of those things where where the whole everything goes away and you're in a surreal state of mind you know it's like it's like having a family member die yeah and, um, yeah it was really really difficult and the rest of that day and then uh, I went to I went out to lunch with a couple of my co-workers and they by then we uh, it, it came across the news that he was gone so I just sat I couldn't eat you know I just sat mm. with him and talked because I was so beside myself about it yeah so that, that's all I can say it's a it was just massive loss very massive loss um what's life for Dr. Think look like today and what are your plans for the future well, like as I just mentioned, I've been working for this multimedia company called B Media Entertainment. Yeah. And have a, a record label called B Records and a music streaming service called My My Music. Yeah. Which caters to independent hip hop and RB artists. Nice. And we have uh, six signed artists on the label now. Yeah. One of which is my son, Max. Awesome. Max who goes by the name of uh, Max Millie, which is spelled M-V-X-M-I-L-L-I. You can catch him on Spotify and elsewhere on all, all streaming platforms. And, and, and then there's uh, several other artists, a, gentleman, a young man by the name of Nico Grimm, who's also the son of our CEO, Jojo Grimm. And then we have MJ Songstress, Kev Rogers, Lil Crush, is that everybody? Oh, and Julian King, we have a, a new, new uh, hmm. app recently a young man excellent excellent artist so yeah it, we have some great artists on the label and I'm in the, the uh, director of the catalog and licensing side of things so what, what I do is I seek uh, placements for our artist music amongst others because we have a full management wing I forgot to mention that we have managers in our company that manage our artists and some other outside artists that are not associated with the label and uh we also have a, a music promotional service called All Music Promo and a playlisting service called Just Added Music. Awesome. Sounds good. So if artists are interested in our services, just you know, have, tell them to go to vmedia.com. That's our website, yep. and all our information is there. Nice. Our company also, uh, not our, our media company, but the parent company, ADX, has a, a company uh, called GameSmart, Yep. and Pixel Hicks, which is a video game design company. And oh, I, cool. I had the opportunity to executive produce a new game called Rhythm Rumble that will be out late late this year, which yep. has uh, features 13 new songs, all from all genres of music. And uh, I either performed on, co-wrote, or, or just you know produced the, the whole soundtrack and had eight other composers yep. collaborate on the project yeah, Nintendo Switch. Nice. Matt Fink, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. It's been an honour and a privilege to speak to you. And yeah, all the best for the future. All right, well, it's good talking to you, Adam. Take care. Have a good one. Well, there you have it. That concludes my interview with Dr. Fink. I hope you all enjoyed that interview. Feel free to share the episode around and tell your friends and family about it. You can follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok for podcast announcements updates and more or head to our website at lyricsoftheirlife.com make sure you subscribe on spotify itunes or wherever you get your podcasts 
And if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a positive five-star review on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated, and it only takes a minute or two, and helps the podcast rank up and be seen so it continues to grow, and I can continue bringing you more episodes such as this one. If you would like to take that support a step further, Lyrics of Their Life also has a Patreon page where you can pledge your support for as little as $1 a month, with no lock-in contract, just a little something to show your support and appreciation for the podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I'm your host Adam Hampton, and this is Lyrics of Their Life.